Alpaca pals, do you consider yourself to be a budget traveler? There's an entire industry built around the idea of budget travel, from hostels to guidebooks and budget-savvy bloggers and influencers. And I totally understand why. Travel is very expensive. According to Barry Choi, a Canadian financial travel writer, the average two-week trip to Europe from North America costs just under 4000 USD per traveler. Barry emphasizes that this is an estimate, though. It's possible to spend more, but it's also possible to spend much less. And that's exactly what budget travel is. It's a dedication to traveling for less. There are many strategies for reducing your travel spend. For example, I tend to travel on the off-season when flights and hotels are cheaper. And when I spent a few months backpacking Europe, I stayed in dorm rooms and I cooked most of my meals in the hostel. This likely saved me hundreds of dollars over the course of the three-month trip. So today we're discussing all things budget travel. We'll talk about how it's done, but also what happens when budget travel goes too far. Because, spoiler alert, budget travel can sometimes do damage. And we'll explain how, don't worry. We're chatting first with Kate McCulley. She's the blogger behind the site Adventurous Kate. She's been traveling for years, often alone and often on a budget. Welcome, Kate. Thanks so much for having me, Erin. I'm really happy to be here. So Kate, your site focuses on travel for independent women, but you do sprinkle in great budgeting tips throughout. What has your experience overall been with budget travel? Have you like always considered yourself to be a budget traveler? Well, it's interesting because I feel like everybody defines budget travel somewhat differently. Maybe for some people, budget travel would be staying in a three-star hotel instead of a five-star hotel. For some people, maybe it would be couch surfing instead of staying in a hostel dorm. So I really feel like everybody has their own personal definition. For me, I think the broadest definition of budget travel is financially conscious travel. And in that case, yes, I'm definitely a budget traveler. These days, I I call myself a mid-range traveler because, you know, I tend to stay in private rooms, simple places. I splurge occasionally on something really special, but I am pretty conscious about how I spend my money and overall how I get value out of my travels. Yeah, absolutely. I I would say I'm about the same. I've found like, especially the older I've gotten and now like traveling with my partner, we tend to go for comfort a little bit more than we used to. When I was traveling at like 19, 20 years old, I was way more willing to like stay in a 30 bed dorm room. Whereas now like, mm, I'll pay like four extra dollars to stay in a private room if that's possible. <laughs> so what are some strategies for a budget travel that you found useful throughout your travels? Something that I think doesn't get said often enough is don't just think about a country as a cheap country, but think about the kind of environment that you're going to. For example, a lot of people go to Thailand thinking Thailand is a cheap country, but they don't realize that the beach resort towns can cost several times what you would pay for a simple place in a rural area in the north. Just because it's a certain country, it doesn't mean that it's the same price in every single part in the country. Generally, I say to keep in mind that big cities tend to be most expensive, beaches are very expensive, and popular tourist zones. If you want to pay lower prices, go rural. Yeah, that's a fantastic point. I notice this especially in Europe. European cities tend to be like astronomically more expensive than if you go to like lesser 
in cities or the countryside. And I think that's something a lot of people are missing out on when they do their Euro trips, like bopping from big city to big city. But um, you see a lot of people who are who are looking for a daily budget based like countrywide or even region wide. And I think it is really important to think about the average, but then also be cognizant of the fact that it's going to change, like you say, based on where you are and how much of a hot zone that is for tourism. Yes. And I know a country that you and I both have a lot of experience with is Italy. And honestly, if you're comparing Florence and the heart of tourist season to somewhere like lesser visited places in Sicily or Puglia, you would be paying a fraction of the price. I mean, people just see Italy as expensive and it doesn't have to be. Mm-hmm. I You can buy a $5 carbonara down in uh, Palermo, which is incredible. And like that same carbonara is going to be $20 if you go up north. I am really in the mood for carbonara now. <laughs> So I personally used to believe that budget travel was accessible to everyone and that people just needed, uh, like saying this now, I feel I was such a jerk for thinking this, but I really did think that people just needed to work hard and save hard and they would be able to afford to travel. But over the years, I've become more cognizant of how this outlook can be a bit problematic. Personally, travel has been accessible to me because I had a financial leg up from the start. I grew up in a middle class family. I never had issues landing jobs in high school. And I got to save all the money that I earned as a teenager because I lived at home and I didn't need to contribute to our family's living costs. So I guess what I'm getting at is that, yes, I have always been good at saving and I've always budget traveled. And this combination, I think, is why I've been able to travel as often as I have. But I also can't ignore the financial leg up and the privilege that I've had in this equation as well. So the bottom line that I'm trying to get at is that budget travel can, yes, make travel more accessible, but it doesn't remove all barriers of access because travel requires disposable income and not everyone has the privilege of disposable income. And I thought that this was a really important point to make in this conversation, because even though like I don't agree with that viewpoint anymore that like, oh, anyone can travel, you just need to like be good at saving and work really hard. I do see that narrative being written a lot in blogs, like in the blogging community, but also talked about a lot in forums. What is your thought on this? Do you do you see this narrative being being talked about in the budget travel community as well? I think that we are seeing, I guess for lack of a better word, some of the more woke bloggers who are trying to dismantle racism, dismantle sexism. But to, I don't see the same effort being made toward economic inequality. I do know some travel bloggers who did grow up quite poor and who, who were able to change their circumstances and make travel a part of their lives. But I don't think that it is talked about nearly as much as it should be. For me, the big example that I always talk about is when I waited tables during college. It was a really nice restaurant, and there were two kinds of people who worked there. There were the people who worked there year-round, who were career servers, essentially, and there were those of us who were college students, who were only there um, during the summers and during vacations, and were only going to be there until we could graduate and get what we call a real job. And at the time, there was almost like a bit of a war between these two groups of people, um, an animosity that never quite quit. And I always felt like the career servers were resentful of us and they didn't appreciate that we worked just as hard as them, those kinds of things. And at the time, I remember thinking to myself, anybody 
can better themselves. Anybody can take one community college class at a time if that's all you can do and get yourself to the next level. I wasn't taking into mind that one of my coworkers was a single mom with two kids with autism. I wasn't taking into mind that one of my coworkers had survived addiction to heroin and was just completely thrilled that he was surviving each day. I mean, everybody has different circumstances. And I know you're Canadian. I'm American. In America, we grow up with so much American exceptionalism that that America is better than any other country and that anyone can rise up and there's a meritocracy. But that is so absolutely not true. And again, we do not talk about that enough in the travel community. Yeah, I'd really like to see more discussions around it, like sort of dismantling this idea. And I, th- I think it just like relates back to all of us remembering that travel really, really is a privilege. And it is something that not everyone gets to experience in life. And for that, we should really be grateful instead of viewing it as something that like anyone can do as long as they're willing to work hard enough for it. I think, yeah, like it is about working hard, but it's also about looking at the privileges that you've been born into a lot of the time that have made it possible for you to to access that kind of leisure activity. And, you know, at the same time, I read something online the other day. It was a discussion about how people write poverty, how you have somebody who's never experienced poverty, who's writing about poor people. And you do have somebody who has experienced poverty writing about poor people. Let's say just say rich and poor, for lack of better terms. A rich writer writing poor people is like, oh, I hate all the poor people because they are snobs. Whereas uh, the poor writer writing a poor character is thinking, I'm really nervous because I'm $300 short on rent and my car is making a really weird noise. And I think if you translated that to the travel community, that could be, for example, a rich writer would write a poorer traveler thinking, oh, I'm poor, I'll just go to Central America and backpack my way through. Whereas an actual person who is struggling economically would think, there's no way on earth I could even plan for a trip, even in the country, even nearby. Just it's not a possibility. Yeah. And I think that points to this concept again, having disposable income really is a privilege that not everyone has. And I think I know that I grew up in a household where having savings was normal. And this is just not reality in America and in Canada as well. There are a lot of people that live most of their lives paycheck to paycheck, which means even if it's only going to cost you $1,000 to go on a trip somewhere, that's still a lot of money that in many cases people can't pull together. And that's just reality. So in your blog, it was called The Truth About Extreme Budget Travel. You emphasize that budget travel is unique to everyone. So what are some of the pros of budget travel? Well, I think number one is that you can travel for longer. Um, You have the privilege of being able to travel slower, being able to spend a longer time in fewer places. And often you have more exposure to locals and to how they live their lives as well, which gives you a deeper experience overall. Yeah, I totally agree with all of that, especially with the access to locals element. With budget travel for me, like for example, my partner and I, when we were in India, instead of taking tourist shuttles between cities, we would always take the cheap local train. We would just buy the cheapest ticket, which would put us in a train car. And those experiences are some of my like favorite memories from India because I actually did talk with locals quite a lot, like the entire train ride. I'd just be chatting with local people and that's an experience I otherwise wouldn't have had and we made that choice not because we thought oh we'll be exposed to more locals if we take the train initially we made the choice because we thought oh it's so cheap compared to taking a shuttle so why wouldn't we do this Um, so I think that's a really good point and, and very true 
But what are some of the cons of budget travel that you've noticed or experienced? Well, a big one, I write a lot about teaching women how to stay safe while traveling the world. And sometimes when you don't have as much of a budget, you might be reducing your own safety. One issue that I often see is that uh, perhaps a woman will arrive in a new city late at night and she really should be getting a cab to her accommodation. But she says, oh, no, you know, I really don't have the money for cabs. I'll just take the bus. Especially when you're in a new city that you don't know at all, you're putting yourself at risk. I always tell my readers to have an extra budget just in case you need to um, you need to do something that keeps yourself safe. In addition to that, you often miss out on really cool experiences. Like, for example, going to Angkor Wat is very expensive. I'm not quite sure exactly how much it costs these days, but Angkor Wat is very, very expensive. But are you really going to miss out on going to Angkor Wat while you're in Cambodia? I mean, it's on everything. It's on the flag. It's on the beers. It's on literally everything. Another dilemma I've heard from people is that they spend all their time cooking in the hostel rather than actually eating out. And one of my readers once told me that it made him so sad that he would go to the market for the day and photograph all the beautiful food and then go home and make pasta in the hostel kitchen. I think you're you're pointing to like how important it is to go for balance when you're budget traveling. And that like gets into the more extreme budget travel arena, I think. Yes, no, definitely. Some people take it way too far. And I think that goes into the category of just because you can, it doesn't mean you should. Yeah. (laughs) And I know in one of your blogs, you also talk about how one of the other cons of budget travel is that you can end up mooching off other people. How does this mooching happen when extreme budget traveling? Well, I think it tells you the kind of person that I am that I use the word mooching in the first place. I know plenty of people who are very happy to travel entirely by hitchhiking, couch surfing, and surviving on handouts of locals, whether they're making new meals or people who, I mean, the absolute worst are the bagpackers who are begging in the streets for money to to continue their journey. It's really terrible. But me personally, I, I always feel a little guilty whenever anyone's doing something nice for me. I know I probably have to do something to mentally get myself out of that. But as a consequence, whenever I'm on a trip and say I'm staying at a friend's house, I am always trying to be a model guest, absolutely perfect, helping them clean the house, cooking up a storm, and just trying to be as unobtrusive as possible and to not cause them any pain or suffering whatsoever. Right, yeah. I've encountered travelers like this myself, like the backpackers that you mentioned, and also just like very extreme budget travelers who... So for example, while I was in Vietnam, I met a guy who told me that he had only a few hundred dollars and he needed it to last him at least a month because he was planning to travel across the country by bicycle. And he admitted to me outright, he said like, I don't have enough money, I'm going to run out and I'm going to have to rely on locals to take care of me. So when I asked him how he planned to manage this, he said, oh, like Vietnamese people are really friendly I know that like people in the rural areas will be willing to like let me sleep in their house and they'll be willing to feed me so I'll just ask locals to help me and I think this really pointed to the crux of the problem because not only was he intending like he he it was a full-on intention to rely on local people and these are people who are not as economically advantaged as he was so he's taking their resources from them he wasn't going to be contributing his own resources 
much towards local economies. Um, like he wasn't even taking public transport. He was riding a bicycle. And so in my mind, this is problematic because like part of the beautiful thing about travel is that you can contribute economically to another country. So I think that this points to power dynamics that are involved with some extreme budget traveling. While I think that budget travel can be great, it's all about balance and ensuring that your actions are respectful of the local communities you're visiting and not taking advantage of them. And this guy was just like a prime example of, in my mind, when extreme budget travel goes a little bit too far. Yes, I agree with that because he went in as you said, his intention, that was his specific intention. He arrived knowing he didn't have enough money and he was just planning on people being able to support him. And you know what's interesting, getting along the lines, I, I do think that people who visit a country and spend very, very, very little money are being very disrespectful. I'm going to ask Aaron, have you watched the show Ozark at all? I watched like two episodes. I couldn't get into it. <laughs> Should yeah. I? <laughs> I... I enjoy it. I mean, I do like a good dark show. I've only got an episode and a half left. Uh, long story short, this family relocates to the Ozark, from Chicago to the Ozarks in Missouri, and they don't have money for crime-related reasons, so they are staying in like a crappy little motel. And the sheriff says to them, we despise people like you who come here and stay in a place like that. You're not paying taxes, and we're not getting any money from you when you're staying in a place that cheap. And I feel like that was the first time I actually heard that vocalized on a TV show. I, I was impressed to hear it. I mean, that's such an important point and one that doesn't get discussed often in the travel blogging community, in the travel community, um, period. Yeah, absolutely. If you're going to, as you say, mooch off locals the entire time and not even be taking public transport, you're not you're not putting any money into the local economy at all. And that part of what's beautiful about travel is that you can impact people by buying their products and by supporting their businesses. And I have been heard, I have been told this about like the whole couch surfing economy, because of course, like couch surfing, I, I have done it, like it is really fun to do. But I tried to do it in like Europe and in America in regions where there isn't that same like power imbalance where you're a visitor who like clearly is of, of higher economic means. In that case, it feels a little predatory to to like rely on locals, whereas I think if you're like visiting a country where the economy is very similar and people are of the same privilege as you, it doesn't have the same like problematic impact, I don't think. I completely agree with you on that. I haven't formally done any couch surfing other than like meetups. I prefer to use couch surfing for meeting people, not for staying with people, for some of the reasons that I mentioned before. But I agree with you. I don't think I could stay with somebody who is in a majorly different economic uh, status from mine. I would feel incredibly guilty the whole time. Yeah, yeah, totally. So you also bring up how budget travel isn't fun when you're doing it because you actually can't afford things. <laughs> and I think this is a really good point because that also speaks to the sort of like extreme budget travel camp where people, it's more about the fact that they're traveling for so little money than the fact that they are traveling. So yeah, it's not as fun because like, as we mentioned previously, it might mean that you aren't trying local cuisines and you aren't seeing major attractions like Angkor Wat. Um, are there other ways that you think that budget travel can go into the non-fun territory? Well, I think a lot of people start backpacking and then they realize, wow, I don't actually enjoy this. Or um, solo travel, you know, the, sol the whole thing, they plan a trip around the world solo and 
Felix and they're like, wow, this is not my kind of travel. And that's one reason why I think it's good to do a test drive with a shorter trip. Um, like when I did my first solo trip ever, I was 23. I went to Buenos Aires for a week and I said, you know what? This is going to be a test. I'm going to see how I handle it. And if this goes well, I will plan a solo trip around the world. Yeah, that's a really great piece of advice because I have I have actually talked to people who say that, that they, they felt that they were going to be up to it. And then once they were doing it, it just felt very overwhelming, which is totally understandable because going to a foreign country alone is extremely overwhelming. And you mentioned before that there's special concerns for women when they budget travel. Could you delve into that a little bit more and maybe highlight like what some of these specific concerns would be? Well, I think something that a lot of men don't understand is that how often women worry about the threat of sexual assault. This goes for at home as well as when we're traveling. I mean, have you ever put on lipstick and wondered if the shade of red is going to get more men to yell at you on the street or the height of your heels or the length of your skirt? I mean, it's constant. We are careful where we park our car, where we walk at night how close we get to co-workers even. We don't know if they're sketchy. So, I mean, honestly, we are constantly, constantly, constantly thinking about this in the back of our mind. And there are a lot of things that are part of budget travel and particularly extreme budget travel that leave us vulnerable to sexual assault. Camping alone outside, especially camping in the middle of nowhere, leaves us vulnerable to sexual assault. Staying in a sketchy guest house with a badly locking door leaves us vulnerable to sexual assault. Taking public transportation in a rough city at night leaves us vulnerable to sexual assault. Accepting food and drinks prepared by couchsurfing hosts leaves us vulnerable to sexual assault. So these are all risks that are actually part of our lives when we travel on a budget. That's a really good point. So when it comes to budget travel, I think that there's three main points that we've covered that I'll summarize. So firstly, budget travel doesn't automatically mean travel is widely accessible. It still requires disposable income, and that is a privilege. Um, Two, women need to take extra precautions when budget traveling because there are added risks. And lastly, it's all about balance and comfort. Budget travel is about doing it in a way that is comfortable and safe for you. Um, And it's important to be cognizant of how your style of budget travel is impacting others, which is basically to say don't take advantage of local communities when you're budget traveling. Are there any points you want to add to wrap up? Yeah, I would just like to add that those of us who own privilege, it's our job to dismantle inequality in all ways, in terms of racism, in terms of sexism, in terms of economic justice. That is our job. It's on us to do the hard work. Yeah. I absolutely agree. All right, Kate, do you want to plug your projects, like anything, your Instagram, your website, anything else that you might be working on? Absolutely. Well, the site is Adventurous Kate, and I pretty much own that for every social media. So just type in Adventurous Kate, you'll find me. But something that I started really recently, four weeks ago today, is my Patreon You can find it at patreon.com slash adventuruskate. And because I've always been a personality blogger, that's something that I'm really capitalizing on right now. That is where I am telling the best stories that I have never told anywhere before. And coming out in a few days is a story about the romances of Antarctica, including the lady of a certain age who was trying to get with every man of a certain age for all 12 (laughs) days of the Antarctica journey. So I'm excited to tell that story. on the Patreon. It sounds like a good one. (laughs) Oh, it's really good. 
I thought it'd be important to explore budgeting more, but through a broader lens. So I'm chatting with Danielle Desir, a travel and personal finance writer over at her blog, The Thought Card. She's got a ton of other titles under her belt too, like she's an author, a speaker, and a podcast host for good measure. So yes, it's important to budget while you travel, but making budgeting a part of your daily life and habits is how most of us can make travel an option to begin with. Not only that, but budgeting will help you to reach other financial goals too in the long run. So Danielle's here to give us some insider tips. So let's just dive in. Obviously, travel is expensive and accessibility to leisure travel is disproportionate. Um, that's because of several economic and other issues. But Danielle, you've made it your mission to prove that it is possible to make travel a financial priority through savviness and planning. Reading your site, I was so impressed to see that you managed to pay off $63,000 in debt in four years and you bought a house. And you traveled to 27 countries before the age of 27. It's incredible. How did you pull this off? Well, thank you so much for the invitation. I am one of those people that likes to do and 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 and, which means like I like to just accomplish all these different things. But when it comes to paying down my uh, student loan debt, I really made a decision to do it because I got angry. And one of the things that I look for when I'm looking for my next big financial goal is for an emotion that will inspire me or that will trigger me to take action. So that could be anger or or just like a, a fiery passion. So for me, my, uh, my emotions was angry because I found out that I was paying $10.10 per day on my student loan debt. And I felt so swindled. Number two, for me, I had to make a really big decision. Do I want to live live at home with my mom? At the time, I was in my early 20s. Or do I want to live in New York City? I work in midtown Manhattan. Um, So it was really hard to make that decision. Live your best life in a big city or stay at home and kind of be a little bit more grounded. Uh, But when I thought about the long term, I knew that paying down my debt meant that I would have more money in my pocket sooner. My payment was over $700 a month, and I I just knew that it would just really cause me a financial pinch if I wanted to live in the city. I would be broke. I'd be broke regardless of where I lived, you know? So I just figured I would just make the sacrifices uh, for the short term, and I was able to bang it out six years ahead of schedule. Wow. And you also managed to buy a house and travel a ton. Yes. Okay. So... In addition to really looking for something that lights a fire in me, when I am thinking about my goals, I'm a multifaceted saver, which means that I save for multiple things at the same time. The reason why is because if if I'm only picking one thing to work towards, at the end of that journey, I'm so exhausted and drained that I might not have the energy to go, you know, get back up and to focus on another goal and another big goal. So instead I said to myself, you know what, let me work on these two big financial goals, pay off my student loan debt and also slowly save for down payment of a house. I did not want to be in my mid twenties 
now starting to save for a house and still having to be with mom for another two, three years until I got there, you know? So I said, okay, let me take the slower route, save for multiple things. And through that, I was able to save up $20,000 for down payment on a house. And so I really like to tear things up. And that's really my saving strategy, which is very different from what a lot of personal finance experts would say. That's a really interesting strategy too, because I feel like it would be overwhelming to be saving for so many things at the same time. But at the same time, I think like I would feel like I was accomplishing more, which would make me feel good. I think like it's almost more overwhelming to think, okay, first there's a goal and then there's another. Whereas if like you're unilaterally approaching them, you can feel a sense of accomplishment on each project, which ultimately probably feels a lot better. Yes. When it comes to finances, it's always a pick your own adventure. So for me, I'm one of those people that I really thrive off of quick financial wins. So I'm looking for the things that will make me feel good in my financial journey, even if it might not be the smartest thing to do. Like I could have probably paid off my student loan debt maybe in two and a half years or three years if that was the only thing I was focusing on. But I extended my journey because I knew in the near term future that I really wanted to move out of my mom's house and be on my own. Uh, But again, it's like, pick your own adventure, pick what you will feel will make you feel better in your financial journey and go with that. So how did travel factor into this? Like at what stage did travel become a financial priority for you? It actually started really, really early on. So if I go back to my travel journey, I started traveling at a really young age at uh, probably the age of two or three. And I would spend every single summer with my grandparents in Haiti. Now with summers in Haiti, it was great because I got to learn Haitian Creole. I got to dive in the culture. I was there for three, four months of the year. So it was a really great immersive experience for me. But by the time I got into college and high school, it became uncool because that particular trip was taking me away from my friends and from my life here in the States. So I kind of threw it away and gave it up. Now, by the time I was like a sophomore and junior in college, travel became a big part of like spring break trips and traveling with your girlfriends and doing all these things. And I realized, look at my pocketbook. I'm like, wait, this college budget is not going to allow me to do both of these things. I have to either, you know, pick to live in New York city and you just make my, make my do, or do I, you know, go on this trip, which I didn't even have credit cards at the time. So that wasn't even an option for me. I really started to realize that I was missing out on these opportunities to travel and I really wanted to travel. And I started to see that money plays a big role in our, in our ability to travel. It can help us to travel, which makes things a lot easier, or it can hinder us to travel. People say that time and money are some of the biggest factors that are holding us back from traveling. And that was very, very true for me. I think what really tipped me off was when I wanted to study abroad in Paris for a semester. And when I looked at the student loan bill, the bill that came through, like I had a lot of scholarship at the time, but my scholarships weren't going to cover it. And I asked my mom, I said, Hey mom, can you cover, can you help me cover this? I would really like to have like this happen. And she was excited for me. And she said, I'll do anything to make this possible for you. But in the background, it was the great recession and we were about to lose our home to foreclosure. So I had to make a really, again, another big financial decision. Am I going to go on this quote unquote, once in a lifetime opportunity trip 
at the expense of my family losing their home already and making our financial situation worse, or am I going to table this? So when I decided to table it, I thought that was the best thing I can do. I made a promise to myself that as soon as I became an adult and I had my first big girl job, quote unquote, that I would make travel a financial priority in my life. And I would find as many creative ways as possible to financially afford it. So that really really opened me up to find creative ways. And I always say that if once you start like having an interest in something, you'll just dive deeper and deeper into it. And that's how I've become a financially savvy traveler. Yeah, I can totally relate to that because like I've had a similar experience in that I, since I was a teenager, it's always been something that I've cared about enough to give up like other things that I could be spending money on. And so it's always been a priority for me. I don't spend money on going out to restaurants or buying coffee every single day. And people are very surprised at how that can actually result in the money to travel. But um, you have to like make the conscious choice to do, to do that. Yeah. And that decision is really, it's hard to be conscious with every single dollar that you have, right? Um, that is exactly why I try to automate my finances when it comes to travel as much as possible. So one of the, a couple of things that I actually do, number one is I have a travel fund, which means that I have a separate bank account devoted solely to my travel savings. And that is not commingled with anything else. It's separate and money that goes into it is dedicated to my travel expenses. So it's really good to have a separate bank account. Um, number two, automation for me has been such a critical piece because, again, I'm trying my best to limit the times that I actually have to make a decision about something. The more times you have to touch something or make a decision, the more exhausting it'll be and the more likely that you'll, you'll slip into cracks. So what I do is I uh, automate my savings by having my, my paycheck gets directly deposited into my travel fund every pay period. And there, someone might say, okay, why, why every pay period, not once a month? is because it's easier for you to make a decision about your money as soon as you get your hands on it versus if you just make an arbitrary monthly decision, it might you might end up spending money on other things. So those are the two strategies that I implement. I have a travel fund and then I automate through a direct deposit of my employer. It makes travel become a bill if you do that. Like if you are des- like designating your money every single pay period, it becomes a bill just like your cable bill or Netflix or anything else. I was actually listening to another interview that you did where you talked about an exercise where you sit down and you look at every paycheck or your monthly earnings, and then you deduct from that um, bills that are already existing. And then the leftover money, you decide exactly where every percentage of that will go. And your explanation of this Um, strategy was so great like I ended up doing it myself and I'm now actively following the strategy and like I think the key was you you emphasize that you need to account for every single dollar down to zero so that you know exactly where that money is going and I I thought this was such a genius um, strategy do you want to give a better explanation than I just gave of how this works yeah you did a really good job that was great and I know exactly what you're talking about yes (laughs) So what you're mentioning right now is called zero-based budgeting. So what you're doing is when you have all the income that you have for the month and you minus 
expenses, you minus gifts to charity, you minus your savings, every single thing that you can think of at the end of the month, it should net zero. And the reason why this is super great is because this gives every single dollar that you earn a job. And there's multiple jobs that money could have. It could help you to pay off debt. It could help you to save and build wealth. It could help you to give to charity. It could help you to pay to pay bills. So regardless of whatever those categories are, at the end of the day, whatever you earn, you want it to net zero. And what I do is a simple spreadsheet that I have, or you could do it on pen and paper, you include your income at the top and then you start deducting again, because travel is a financial priority in my life. Travel is right up there with my non-negotiables, like my mortgage travels right underneath that, as well as my car insurance. And you just kind of go down the list and also your bills, but you also want to include your savings as well. So if you're saving for a particular thing or whatever you're uh, disposed to, make sure you add that in and then net zero at the end. So that for me is just a super quick way to budget every single month. And then what I try to do in addition to that, because I get paid bi-weekly, I just kind of divide that by two. So every single time I'm getting paid, I do the same thing, but I'm just looking at it per pay period. So every paycheck at the end of the day, I should have zero dollars at the net. Yeah. So in 2019, 33 million Americans said in a survey by Wallet Hub that they felt that they can't afford to travel this winter. And this is a sentiment I hear among my friends often as well. Um, that they just feel that like it's it's just not in the cards for them. They just can't afford it. So what advice would you give to someone who feels this way, feels that travel is out of reach for them financially? If you, like a lot of finances is mental. So if you feel like something is out of reach for you financially, it's going to end up being your reality. Like one of the big goals I have for me right now is to pay off my mortgage. And on paper, it looks like it's impossible but I've, I've shifted my mindset to think, you know what, like, let me try to see what I can do. How can I be creative with my finances? The practical advice I would say is in your monthly budget, really sit down and take a look at your wants versus your needs list. A lot of times we'll realize that our wants list, it just grows exponentially as we make more money. And perhaps there may be things that you can cut back off of naturally, like naturally. That for me has been a way for me to find newfound money that I may not have realized before. Another thing that I like to do, and it's called, I like to call it like reverse budgeting. It means that let's say that in your budget, you had $200 for utilities, and this month, your utility bill only came out to $50. That means you have a savings of $150. However, if you're not capturing that savings, it's going to evaporate. So I like to look at my budget categories and see, am I hitting the target? And if I'm not, is this an opportunity for me to find some newfound money within my budget? That And it's not, you're not making any sacrifices there, especially if you're doing the reverse budgeting method. It's really just looking at places that maybe you allot a little bit too much in your budget, like a little bit of cushion, and you could easily uh, take that money and save it. Other things that I, I would do, for example, is let's say 
I'm walking to work and I'm like, you know what? I feel like, you know, drinking coffee today, buying, uh, buying a latte at Starbucks. And then for some reason I say, you know what? I'm not going to go to Starbucks today. Let me just keep going. I actually take out my phone and I pull out that $5 from my bank app and I pull it to my travel fund because it was an expense that I thought about, but I actually did not implement. So why not take that $5 that I wanted to spend, capture that and put it towards travel? I think a lot of people think that when they're saving money, it has to be this huge, large, multiple figures that you're saving every time you put money away. And for me, it, that's not necessarily true. Those $5, the $25, the $15 really, really does add up. When I started my travel journey, my first trip to Paris, I was able to afford that trip by saving $25 every pay period. That's all I could afford at the time because I was paying off debt. But $25 allowed me to go to France. And since then, I said, you know what? Anything, anything is possible. I really like that idea of like, it's essentially rewarding yourself. I thrive on rewards. <laughs> and I think a lot of people are like when you think about people's addiction to social media, like that's an example of like how humans respond to that. So it's almost like you can trick yourself almost like a game of being like, okay, if I don't purchase this that I want to purchase and instead decide to put it into my travel fund, you're sort of self-rewarding for choosing not to make that purchase. Absolutely. It's yes, it's tricking yourself for sure. And this actually made me think about one of the apps that I really, really love. It's called Digit. I'm not sure if it's applicable in Canada, but in the US, Digit allows you to save your spare change based off of your daily expenses on your debit card or credit card. So it just stashes away small bits of, of change. And literally, that's how I've been able to pay for my hotel to go to Disney World last year. Um, literally $600 just saved over the course of a year by my spare change. So don't discount the small amounts of money and uh, reward yourself any chance that you can. Yeah, totally. I've used one of those apps before. We have a couple in Canada as well, but they're so easy to find. You just Google it and yeah. So I often find that people equate travel with a huge glorified trip to somewhere like that's usually far away and these trips can cost thousands of dollars so for example the Maldives right now are incredibly popular but I've looked it up flying there and staying in a hotel you're looking at like four to eight thousand dollars and that's like on the low end side so I think it's like easy to overlook destinations that are closer or that are even in your own country. And I think that this impacts a lot the way that people think about affordability and travel. So for example, like while a while back, my partner and I wanted to do a 10 day trip on a small budget. So we sat down and we decided, okay, this is how much money we have. And we just sat down and we started Googling flights and we were like, we're just gonna take the cheapest flight. And it ended up being Guatemala. And we went and we stayed in $10 hostels and we came in under budget. So by not, thinking of these extravagant trips as like the only option for travel, we made travel affordable for us. And I know that this is something you've talked about on your blog as well about like, it's about choices. So it's about choosing a place that actually is within your budget. Do you have anything to add about this strategy? Yes, I love that. And congratulations for coming in under budget. Like that's like the dream. <laughs> I know, I know. You feel that's so good dream. afterwards. That's like, that, that really makes me excited. Um, so a lot of people, when they're planning out their trips, 
they look at the destination first, where they want to go. They want to go to the Maldives or they want to go to Bali. And then based off of the destination, they let their finances dictate everything else. So my strategy is definitely different than that. I let my finances dictate where I go to. That's because my travel style, I'm, I'm very open in my travel style. I'm very open to destinations. And although I do have a travel wish list, absolutely, certainly, but my finances are more important. Like I cannot stretch. I can't afford to stretch myself, you know, and I'm also a big advocate of not getting into debt because of a trip as well. So what I have done in my personal finances is I see how much I have saved up and based off of what my budget is, I see what I could fit into that. And one of the big things for me that has really allowed me to travel even more is finding flight deals. So as a financially savvy traveler, one of my big goals is to spend money on the things and the experiences that I value and to avoid spending money on the things that I do not value. So I'm not one of the people that cares for first class. That doesn't matter to me. Just get me there safely. And then what I do is I take my, my money, my budget, I use that to, you know, go on group tours or go on an excursion or get a car and go, uh, go seeing, go sightseeing. Um, so for me, that has been really great. I've been able to go, most of the 27 countries I've been to have been accidental. Like it's just a random flight that I found. Then I went and allowed, okay, based off of where my flight is booked. Now let's plan that trip around it. Yeah. We use, we actually use the exact same strategy. We've, most of our trips have just been like accidental because a flight deal has come up. We went to Jordan last year and it was simply because an amazing flight deal popped up and we were like, okay, let's do it. It's within budget. And I find it's exciting that way because when you're not, when you're not like always purposefully choosing where you go, you sometimes end up a place that you wouldn't expect to end up. And then that can result in like really amazing travel experiences. And then when you go to less expensive places, you don't have to necessarily worry about the tab that's the best part. Like you said, you could say, you know, what, I'm going to enjoy this and kind of ball out on this dinner because it's not as expensive as if I went to a really, really popular hot destination. Yeah, absolutely. And I love your point about um, sticking to values. I know in my personal experience, like, and it's likely because I have a lot of food allergies. So there are a lot of restrictions on what I can eat. When I traveled in Europe by myself, I backpacked around. I never ate out. I always cooked for myself in kitchens. And this was mostly because I was nervous to eat in restaurants. It stretched my budget so far because I was committed to doing this. And it took time and it took logistical planning, but it allowed me to travel so much further as a young backpacker in Europe. So do you have any like finishing tips you want to share with everyone about how they can start saving for travel? Yeah, I would just also say that Today, we talked a lot about the pre-planning stage because saving for travel is all about the pre-planning stage. But to dive a little bit more deeper into when you're actually there at a destination, some of the resources that I've used to help me actually plan an epic trip. I don't think a lot of people see Pinterest as a, as a resource, but Pinterest has been a great place for me to find things to do. 
And one of the first things I search for on Pinterest is free things to do in a destination. So all you have to do is like type in free things to do in X place. And there you'll see tons of bloggers who may be locals or who may be actual tourists. And they'll share with you the things that they have done. And the great thing about free things to do at destination means that you, again, can have so much fun for free without spending any money. And then you could use your finances to spend on maybe bigger ticket items that you really, really, really care for and you really want. One of the things I I had when I was going to Lisbon, Portugal, it was a game for me. Like if I can spend no money all day, then I get to treat myself uh, to something epic in the evening time. And I was able to do it. I was able to do it. So I always like to say, okay, pick your own adventure when it comes to your personal finances, make it fun, um, make it a game, and you'll just be really uh, surprised at how far you can go. I love it. I love the psychology of making it a game. That works so well for me. And Katie is like nodding her head right now. You're blowing her mind (laughs) with all these tips right now. We literally Googled free stuff to do on our last day in Orlando because we didn't know what to do. And we just ended up swimming in the pool all day for like four hours. (laughs) Love it. Love it. Usually the pay things are like the last things I do on my list because I'm just like have so many things to do for free. And and it could even be like museums. There's lots of museums that are that are for free or you might find like just random, random, amazing deals. Um, If you're a student, also make sure that you bring if you can to bring your student ID card with you because you might be able to get into a lot more places because of your uh, student identification. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Danielle. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. This was so much fun. Do you want to plug some things, your website? I know you have a book that you just brought out. Yes. Um, you could follow me over at thoughtcard.com. That is my affordable travel finance blog. I also have a podcast called The Thought Card, and we cover affording travel, paying off debt, and building wealth. And if you love this conversation and you want to dive more into my money saving strategies, I have a brand new book called Affording Travel, and I detail step by step all my strategies for making travel a financial priority in your life. And I don't talk about skipping out on coffee or selling your things. So it's really practical, practical advice there. And on social media, I am at the thought card on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Before I let you go, I have to share some quick news. And that's that we have almost wrapped up this season of Alpaca My Bags. While we're on break, we're going to start planning new episodes. So that means if there is a topic that you'd like us to tackle in season three, now is the time to let us know. You can send us a DM on Instagram, or you can email us. Our email is hello at alpacamybags.ca. If you've enjoyed Alpaca My Bags, please take two minutes to leave us a quick review. You can review us in the Apple Podcasts app. Your review makes it easier for other listeners to find us, and we love to hear your feedback. All right, Alpaca Pals, we hope all of you are keeping safe and well, and when we get back to travel in the future, remember, take that train instead of the plane.